This is Mark 10. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Please be seated. Thank you, Jax. Well, good morning, church. Today is Father's Day, and so my next line should be, Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. And as much as fathers enjoy being recognized uh, for their contribution they make to their families, to their workplaces, uh, to their churches, and to society in general, there can be a lot of anger toward our own fathers and a lot of personal guilt and regret for falling short many times in our own fathering. Sometimes that's because that's the case, a happy Father's Day might be too much to hope for. And that's why it's so important on this special day to focus on our Heavenly Father and all the blessings that He's bestowed on all of us through His Son, Jesus. And because He's such a faithful and loving Father, today can definitely be a happy Father's Day. And speaking of blessings, in, order, in today's passage, we're going to see parents bringing their children to Jesus in order to be blessed by Him. And with that thought in mind, I'll turn it over to Pastor Grant. But first... I just want to say a couple quick words. Son, thank you for following God's call on your life. Thank you for being a good dad. Uh, it's an honor to be your father, and I love you, son. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks. So, yeah, this is, this is a blessing to be able to preach alongside my dad. Uh, so thank you for allowing us to, to try this. Uh, there's probably going to be uh, just a lot. We're probably going to cry a lot and just have long embraces. Uh, so just be patient with us. Uh, this is something, yeah, that we have not done before. Uh, this, if it goes well, this might be a great Father's Day tradition. Yeah. Uh, if it does not, this might be that one thing we did that one time. <laughs> And uh, so we'll just, we'll see how it goes, okay. But this passage that we are arriving at in Mark, okay, we've been preaching verse by verse through the gospel according to Mark. So go ahead, if you don't have your Bibles, uh, if you have your Bibles open, go ahead and open up to Mark uh, chapter 10. Uh, But this passage, it's going to first show us God's heart for our children, going to show us God's heart for our children, and we'll see that by seeing just how much Jesus loves and welcomes the children in our passage. Then in our passage, it's going to show us uh, that if Jesus loves our children so much and has this great love for kids, then we must be faithful in leading them to him. We must not hinder them. We must lead them to Jesus. And then finally in our passage, uh, our passage is going to help us learn from our children about how Jesus loves us, okay? And so our kids are going to teach us some things uh, this morning. But before we jump into the text, let me set the scene a little bit so that we understand just how radical the love of God really is. You see, back in the Roman Empire, during the time that Jesus was here on earth and during the time this passage in Mark was taking place, uh, in, that, in that time, in that culture, uh, young children were not highly thought of. 
Okay, and these were most likely very, very young kids. Luke's account even says that they are infants. Okay, and so these are parents bringing babies, bringing young kids to Jesus. Uh, th this is not parents bringing their teenagers. It's not parents bringing their their thirty year old son who still lives in their basement, right? Like they're bringing babies, young children to Jesus. And uh, but but you see in that society, in that culture, these young kids, babies and infants, were were not highly thought. Of. Of. They were they were viewed really as 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 burdens until they were old enough to really contribute and work for the family and contribute to society, and so often in the Roman Empire, there would be these unwanted babies, these unwanted infants that would be abandoned. Like if if they weren't killed right away, they'd be abandoned and just dropped off and left. And, and so there'd be these designated spots where people would be, leave young infants that they did not want. And the most reason, the most common reasons for, for these unwanted kids and, and parents abandoning them, uh, it was mainly for f uh, financial reasons was one, right? So if it was a poor family, didn't feel like they could feed another mouth, they would just abandon and leave their kids. Uh, uh, kids would be abandoned for birth defects, right? If they were born handicapped in any way, it was going to be really hard on the family, they would abandon them. Uh, if the child uh, was from, if it was an illegitimate child, right? So from out of wedlock or or from an affair. They didn't want to remember that, so they would just abandon the child. And then sometimes children would be abandoned because of their gender. So, so boys were highly valued. They could grow up and be soldiers, and oftentimes many of the, the young girls would be abandoned and left. And so unwanted children who weren't immediately killed and who weren't abandoned, uh, 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 or, or they survived their abandonment for a little bit, they would sometimes be picked up by then people who would turn them into slaves, would turn them into gladiators, would turn them into prostitutes. Now listen, before you get too quick to pass judgment on that culture, uh, don't think that ours is that much different, okay? Don't think that we are, we're so much more enlightened or evolved in our thinking and our understanding of young children and babies. You see, in our country every year, there are about 800,000 unborn children that are killed. Right? And it's usually for similar reasons. Usually it's from financial strain, concern. Usually it's a single mom not knowing how they're going to be able to take care of their child. Usually it's from a, a dad kind of abandoning the family and leaving them in a really difficult situation. Uh, some kids are killed because of birth defects, right? They, a family not wanting to kind of go through if they know there's some birth defects there. And so then not only do we in our society have a lot of, of young unborn children that are being killed, but we also have many that are now being abandoned and just left either by fathers leaving them to, to single moms or by both parents abandoning them. And so right now we have a lot of kids in foster care. In Indiana, we have 15,000 kids in foster care. Uh, and there are actually 9,294 that are ready to be adopted in Indiana, but we just don't have people ready to adopt them. And so a lot of these kids, you know, there's many reasons you can be placed into foster care, but a lot of them are placed because they've been abandoned by parents who can't take care of them due to drugs or legal issues. Um, and so our culture's view of young kids, sadly, is, is very similar to this time in the Roman Empire. Yes, as kids get older, maybe some in our culture can start to uh, uh, kind of idolize them and worship them and exalt them as they, they, they want, you know, pour everything into their kid. But I would say, for the most part, babies and young infants 
are still oftentimes sadly viewed as burdens to us, right? They are burden, burdensome to the family and to society. And even in our churches, I mean, I mean, we can sometimes even kind of fall into this as well, where, where we just want to, we view the kids as being a distraction. We just want to get them out of the way so that we can do real ministry with the adults. And so listen, church, this is, this is not how Jesus views our kids, right? That, that, that underlying thought of our, of, our, of, our, of our young being kind of burdens instead of blessings, like that's, that's not how Jesus views our kids. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to first understand how Jesus loves our children so that we can love them like he loves them and so that we can lead them ultimately to him. And then, then, get this, at the end of our passage, we're going to learn from our children. We're going to learn from our children about what the kingdom of God is really like, and they're going to teach us about how Jesus loves us. And so, so kids that, you know, today we're not having the preschool class. We've got a lot of the kids in here. Kids, listen up. I am not going to preach a message telling you to be more like an adult, okay? That's not what Jesus is teaching us here. I'm actually going to tell the adults they need to be a lot more like the kids, okay? Uh, so let me, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into the text. Father God, I do thank you for this special morning uh, where Dad and I can bring your word together. And so, Lord, I ask that you would even be with the details of that. I ask that, um, that by both of us teaching that it would be in no way distracting, uh, that it would in no way take away from, from the truth of, of your word. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to, to hear, that you would give us hearts to respond to your word as it is preached. Uh, help this not just inform us, but help this actually transform us to make us more like you. And uh, give us a love for kids uh, uh, the way that you love them. Uh, help us view them how you view them. And so we need your help today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, Grant and I are, would like to share three main points from today's passage. And the first point is that Jesus loves children. And we see this in the passage as Jesus puts children in his arms and prays for them and then blesses them. Jesus loves children. So if you're not already in Mark 10, please turn to Mark 10. And I want to read verses 13 and 16. Mark 10, verse 13, and then verse 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. And then go down to verse 16. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So we see parents bringing their children to Jesus in order for him to touch them, bless them, and according to Matthew 19, 13, pray for them. And the disciples were rebuking the, the parents for bothering Jesus with such small matters. Well, this is not the first time in the Gospel of Mark that people came to Jesus or were brought to Jesus or Jesus went to them in order to be touched by him or for them to touch Jesus. Let me give you a few examples from earlier passages in Mark. In Mark 1, 40 to 42, we see a leper who hadn't been touched in years being touched by Jesus and healed. In Mark 5, 24 to 29, we see a woman with a discharge of blood touching the garments of Jesus and being made well. In Mark 5, 41 to 42, which we see Jesus taking a little girl who had died and putting, taking her by the hand and raising her to life. In Mark 6, 6:56, we see the sick in villages and in cities and in the countryside 
touching the fringe of his garment and being healed. In Mark 7, 32 to 35, we see friends begging Jesus to lay his hands on a man who was deaf. And then in Mark 8, 22 to 25, people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged Jesus to touch him. And then lastly, in Mark 9, 35 to 37, we see Jesus taking a child in his arms and saying, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. In other words, when you hug a child, you hug Jesus, all right? And now in Mark 10, we see parents bringing their children to Jesus to touch them and pray for them. So it seems clear to me that when a person is touched by Jesus or reaches out by faith to touch him, they are dramatically changed. Sort of reminds me of the song, He Touched Me. You know that one? The chorus goes something like this. He touched me, oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. When Jesus touches us, we're made whole. There's nothing like the touch of Jesus, whether it's a physical touch or spiritual or emotional or mental or in any other way, there's nothing like the touch of Jesus. And parents are very loving and wise to bring their children to him and him alone. Now let me read verse 16 one more time. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So it appears that the main reason that parents were bringing their children to Jesus was not for physical healing, although that's not out of the question. Apparently they wanted Jesus to bless their children So what does it mean to bless someone? Well, there's a lot of different definitions, but here's one that I kind of prefer. To bless means to bestow favored status on the one being blessed. To bestow favored status on the one being blessed. And blessing mankind was God's plan from the very beginning. God has always wanted to bless mankind. He's always wanted to bestow his favored status on us. Uh, Listen to Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God created and then he blessed. And then in Genesis chapter 12, speaking to Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In other words, God blesses us to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, through your descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God promised Abram he would bless the whole world through one of his descendants, and that descendant was Jesus Christ. Now, it may have been these Old Testament examples of blessing that could have been the reason why parents were bringing their children to Jesus. However, in the New Testament, the emphasis is more on spiritual or eternal blessings as opposed to material or temporary blessings. For instance, listen to Paul's words here in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly places. Wow, that's quite a statement. Here's a quote by Sarah Walton uh, from an article entitled, What Does It Really Mean to Be Blessed? She says, as Christians living in a materialistic society, we must remember that the truest form of being blessed, okay, the truest form of being blessed is to be made aware of our wretched state, led to repentance, sanctified or set apart for holiness, and to one day receive the crown of righteousness. All earthly blessings should pale in comparison to this. And this last line is really important. Sadly, the comfort of temporary blessings often ends up blinding many from their true state of poverty and their need for a Savior. Truest form of blessing is to know who we are outside of Christ and to come to Him and to recognize now who we are in Christ. So Grant, how do you and Britt love your boys and extend a blessing through, through touch and through prayers? How do you do that? Yeah, well, one really common way is that uh, we hold them when they get hurt. And uh, that, that seems to happen uh, uh, quite frequently in our home. Uh, someone gets hurt, right? They're experiencing pain. And what, they, what do they do? They run to mom or dad, and they want them, to, and they want to be held. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, as we're, as we're going through the busyness of the day, it can almost seem like it, that those, those moments are kind of getting in the way of things that we need to get done. But just how sweet those moments are, like those, those moments don't last like forever, right, with young kids. It's, uh, they eventually uh, uh, grow up, they grow older, they don't, they're not always running into your arms. And so uh, really cherish those moments where you get to hold uh, your kids when they're, they're hurting, when they're in pain. Uh, another way that we extend a blessing to them is, is by praying over them at night. I know many of you do this, but something that, that I've, I've switched up recently as opposed to just praying for the three older ones as I put them to bed all at once, uh, really going and praying over each one individually and putting my hand on their head or putting my hand on their back and uh, praying for them uh, specifically. Um, something that Britt and I were, were not consistent at yet, but we'd love to get more consistent at is, is uh, having a, a set-aside time, either once a week or something like that, where we really do just pray uh, details for one child specifically. Uh, sometimes uh, w- when you're praying for your kids, it's, it's hard to, to take the time and the effort to pray through the details. And so if you're just going to f- have time to focus on one child um, uh, during a time and, and really uh, pour out prayers for them, them. And then something that our family, our extended family, has, has started to do uh, with young kids is at birthday parties, uh, you know, we'll sing happy birthday, do all that good stuff. Uh, but then we usually have a time uh, where parents and family and friends uh, get to really just kind of speak blessings over, over whoever's birthday it is. And some things that we share is we, we share the ways that we've seen God working in their life. Uh, we share things that we appreciate about them. We share, share ways that we see like they're, they're gifted and some of their strengths. We share ways that they've, they've overcome some of their weaknesses and struggles. And then we as a family pray, pray for that child. And so look, look for opportunities like that, even at a, at a birthday party or whether it even be a, at a family dinner, uh, to, to acknowledge and, and uh, God's grace in your child's life specifically and how he's been moving and working. I think that's been a big blessing uh, and encouragement to our kids. 
Uh, but dad, how have you and mom prayed for your kids and your grandkids throughout the years? Uh, before I get to that, I want to yeah. share a, a thought on yeah. the blessing of touch. Yeah. I don't know if you have a moment in your life where, where you and I held each other or I touched you in a, or prayed for you or whatever, but the most precious moment in my life in terms of physical contact with you is your senior year in high school and you just lost the uh, a sectional basketball game that you guys probably should have won. And it was the end of your high school basketball career. And, uh, man, I've never seen you cry so hard. But, you know, I just came up to your room and, and just held you. And you just, you know, uh, you put your head on my shoulder. And uh, we just went through it together. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. just kind of came to my mind. Yeah. So how how mom and I prayed? Well, if, if mom were up here, she'd she'd go on for about a half an hour. But I have got a short I've got a shorter list. But um, first of all, we've just prayed for God to have His way in creating our kids and using them for His glory. In other words, God make them who you want them to be. Give them the personality you want them to have, the giftedness, even the weaknesses. Do it for your glory, whatever that means. Create them and use them for your glory. Uh, we've always prayed that our kids would come to know Jesus in a personal way at an, at an early age. Uh, you know, Sharon and I, we were, were older teenagers when we came to Christ, and such a blessing to see kids from very early on come to know Jesus and to have the Holy Spirit in their life. So we always have prayed for that. That, that Christ would capture their hearts on a daily basis. I mean, there's not many days that go by that I don't pray that God would capture my grandkids' hearts and minds and, and guide them. And then for, the, for them to follow Christ all the days of their lives and, and to grow in their relationship not only with Jesus but with the body of Christ, uh, to have Christian friends and to encourage one another in their growth together. Um, I've prayed for them to discern the Lord's calling on their life work and their ministry, what God has for them in the future. And then I've, I've prayed for God to either give them the gift of singleness or to provide them with his choice of a life partner. So let me conclude this first point, that Jesus loves children, by saying, I've noticed that every time that I lay hands on a person and pray for them or people lay their hands on me and pray for me, that I'm, I'm deeply moved in my spirit when that happens. There's something about touching, praying, and blessing a person in Jesus' name that brings the power and presence of Almighty God to rest upon everybody who's involved in that. And that's why we come to Jesus, and that's why we bring our children to Jesus. He loves them and wants to bless them. Well, it's so important for us to know and to understand and see just how much Jesus loves uh, children. And, and, and really, if he has this great of a love for them, that so much so that he's welcoming them, he's blessing them, he's holding them, then doesn't it make sense that we should lead our children to him? But, but how do we do that? How do we do that? Look, look now back at Mark 10, verse 14. It's going to help us kind of answer that question. How do we lead our kids to him? Mark 10, verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. 
So when, when Jesus saw his disciples rebuking uh, parents that were bringing kids to him, right? The disciples were viewing these young kids as maybe getting in the way of the real ministry or they were going to be burdensome to Jesus. When Jesus saw his disciples uh, stopping them and hindering them, uh, the Bible says that he was indignant. Indignant. Now that is, that is a strong word in the original language. This is his, his righteous anger being aroused. Okay, mm -hmm. This is the only time in Jesus' earthly ministry uh, where it says that he became indignant. This is the only time, okay? He became righteously angry towards his disciples. And you can really tell what is close to the heart of a person by what stirs them up to anger, right? I mean, if anyone would so much as give a Brit a dirty look, right? And I, like, I'm a pretty peaceful person, but if any small thing happened to Brittany, like, like I would be ready to throw down, right? I've never been in a real fight in my life, but I'd be ready to go then, right? Okay, that's my boy. That's right. That's right. Like that would stir up in me this righteous anger, and so you can see really what is close to the heart of a person by what stirs up a righteous anger in them, and in the same way we see Jesus's deep love for children by seeing his disciples hindering them from coming to him and this stirs up a righteous indignation in Jesus he says let the children come to me do not hinder them for to such belong the kingdom of God he says do not hinder them do not hinder them and so to answer the question of how do we lead our children to Jesus uh, the first way is not to hinder them from coming. Not to hinder them from coming. And so, Dad, what, what do you think? What are some ways that we hinder our kids from coming to Jesus? I have no idea. I've never hindered my kids in any way. But <laughs> Lord, forgive me for lying. Well, let me share a few with you, but uh, also I want to give you a warning. This is from Mark 9:42. Grant just preached this a couple weeks ago says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. You really don't want to cause little ones to sin. You don't want to hinder them from coming to Jesus. The outcome is not good when we do that. Uh, they're from Jesus' words. So I would say a number of things. First of all, uh, we hinder them by pursuing other things in life instead of him. And the second one kind of goes along with that. By allowing lesser things to capture our thoughts, our time, our money, our attention. I think the Bible calls those things idols. When we have idols that capture our heart instead of Jesus, we hinder our kids from coming to Jesus. I think we hinder them when we set a poor example in the disciplines of grace, prayer and Bible study and fellowship and witnessing and um, sharing what God has given us. When we don't spend time with the Lord and we're just a poor example in that relationship, then we hinder them. And then here, these two kind of go together. By depending on ourselves and others in the ups and downs of life. We all have ups and downs. Who do we lean on? Who do we go to when we're in one of the down cycles? Um, the very central verse in the whole Bible is Psalm 118, verse 8. 
It says, better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. God does not want us depending upon ourselves, and he doesn't want us depending upon other people. He wants us to depend upon him. And then also by relying on our own abilities and not seeking the Lord's help, and I believe that's called pride. That hinders our kids from following and knowing Jesus. And I saw this a lot at the Christian school I worked at before I started pastoring many, many moons ago. We hinder our kids by sending mixed signals about our heart's desires. Sort of one foot in the Jesus camp and one foot in the world. That sends mixed signals to our kids, causes them to be confused, causes them to doubt. It hinders them from coming to Jesus and continuing to follow him. And then lastly, I'd say we hinder them by living life without love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You ever heard that list before? We hinder our kids when we live without the power of the Holy Spirit in our life because they know the difference between a fleshly-controlled parent and a Holy Spirit-controlled parent. So, son, I've shared some ways that we hinder kids from coming to Christ. What are some ways that we can lead our kids to Jesus? Yeah, well, to, to help us answer that question, uh, we're going to have up on the screen Deuteronomy chapter 6. I think it's a, it's a helpful passage uh, to look at um, as we, we start to, to continue to think about how to lead our kids to Jesus. And so to set the scene there in Deuteronomy a little bit, this is Moses speaking to the people of God, preparing them to enter the promised land, preparing them to enter a land uh, where there's other religions, other uh, uh, you know people who are worshiping false gods, there's other worldviews, right? He's trying to help them prepare for about what's ahead. And he says in Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And so if you want to lead your kids to Jesus, and, and Alyssa, if you don't mind just uh, going back to the start of that passage, verse uh, uh, 5 and 6. If you want to lead your kids to Jesus, it, it really starts with verse 5. You. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command, where should they be? Should they be in our heads or should they be on our hearts? Okay. And so listen, parents, you can't just shove your kids to Jesus, right? You have to lead them to Jesus. You can't just tell them that they should follow him and then you live however you want, right? You can't try to give them something that you don't yourself possess. Mm -hmm. And so you might really want them to, to love God and to enjoy God and to glorify God. But, but do you? Do you love God? Do you enjoy God? Are you glorifying God? Like, is his word just in your head or is it really down in your heart? Because kids can quickly spot when what their parents are teaching them is just lip service as opposed is this really from their heart. 
And I think this is typically why so many pastor's kids are kind of stereotypically known for uh, going through like huge rebellious phases or, or having a lot of psychological issues or requiring counseling uh, a lot of their life, right? Like the PKs, they sometimes get a bad rap. And I think for many, it, the, the problem is if, the, if what they see their dad teach on Sunday is inconsistent with the way they see him live Monday through Saturday, uh, that, that's... Like they can't, they can't put those two together. Like it doesn't make sense. Why in the world would I want to follow what this man is teaching me about Jesus if it seems like he's not even following Jesus? And so that's, that's scary for me as a, as a pastor and as a preacher, wanting to make sure that my life is consistent with my message. But really that's, that's a challenge for all of us. All of us, uh, like, like all of you who are bringing your kids to church, they're growing up as church kids. And we have so many now kids who leave the church after they graduate graduate high school, and there's many reasons for that, but I think one of the reasons is that they have seen this inconsistency in what the parent, what their parents are teaching them and what they're seeing mm. taught on Sunday and what is actually lived out Monday through Saturday. And so if you want to lead your kids to Jesus first, are you enjoying a relationship with him? Like you yourself need to be following him. That's first, but that's not all. Then look at verse 7, Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Like we, we must be diligent in teaching our kids God's word. This is, this is not primarily the responsibility of, of the pastors or of the youth pastors or of the Sunday school teachers. They can all come alongside the parents to do this, but the primary responsibility is for parents to be diligent to teach their kids God's word. And to be consistent about it, right? When we're sitting around and hanging out, when we're, when we're in the car and we're on the go, when we're going to bed, when we're waking up, if you want to lead your kids to Jesus, and you should because you know how much he loves them, you should first be pursuing the Lord with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with your whole might, and then be diligent in teaching your kids God's word. And so, Dad, you've got... Can, go I, ahead. Add, can yeah. I add one, yeah, yeah. one verse? I just thought of this verse in, in Ezra, who was a scribe that you know went back to help restore uh, Jerusalem says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. What Ezra was doing was studying God's word, applying it to his own life and doing it, and then he was teaching others. And I think that's what parents do. They love the Lord and they love his word and they obey his word, and then they share that love for God and his word with their kids because they love them and want them to love the Lord and to follow God's word. So yeah. we got to be Ezra's. Yeah. Well, Thanks. Dad, you've, you've got more experience than I do. So uh, as a father, what did it look like for you to practically lead your kids to Jesus? Yep. I was just, I didn't write this down, but one of the things that I thought of is, is um, you know, as a father having Having a, a good mother always helps. But anyway, uh, if you're going to lead your kids to Jesus, I think the first thing one might do is to bring Jesus to them. And that you bring Jesus to them through your own life and through your own words is how you do that. 
So you don't drag them along to Jesus. You bring Jesus in you into their life, and you show them what Jesus looks like through you. And then you, you let them see you living out the relationship with Jesus like you talked about, son, as you spend time in the Word and prayer and with people, how you react to things. Um, you show them that Jesus is the superhero. He is the hero of the story. And you do that by reading the Gospels and just talking about how Jesus loves and how he heals and how he provides and how he died in, in our place. And, and I always used to love to do that at bedtime. I always say bedtime is the right time when it comes to kids. I mean, kids, don't you like to stay up as late as you possibly can? I mean, if your dad wants to read you another Bible story or talk about more about Jesus, wouldn't you be open to that? Yeah. So, I mean, bedtime is the right time. If you want to, you know, tell your kids to read from the Bible or share the Gospels, make Jesus the hero. Uh, let them see you living a surrendered, obedient life. Treat them as Jesus would treat them and always point them to Jesus. Don't point them to yourself. I mean, you know, I remember used to, I used to tell Betsy, uh, Grant's older sister, I said, you know, honey, I love you, and as long as I'm on this earth, you can count on me. But one day I may not be on this earth, but you have a heavenly Father who's always there for you. Those kinds of things give kids security that yes sometimes parents die early things happen but jesus never changes he'll never leave you nor forsake you the heavenly father is always there always point them to god the father because as as important it is to be a good father he's he's the father i mean jesus said in one statement he says don't call anybody father don't call anybody leader or rabbi there's only one real Father. So point them to the real Father. Make Jesus the center of your life. Put them in places where they learn God's Word from other people. Church and Sunday school and youth groups and Awana. Uh, invite missionaries into your home and let the missionaries tell their story of how they came to Christ and followed God's call. Let them read great biographies of, of, of Christian men and women who traveled around the globe and, and did incredible things uh, as God called them. So anyway, those are just a, a few things that you can do to help lead your kids and point them to Christ. So you know, anything yeah. you want to add? To well, that? I have to say the, the thing that really made an impression on me growing up um, like I, I, I can't think I don't think I remember really any of your sermons or lessons that you taught. I know they're all in there somewhere, but I just <laughs> but but what's on the forefront of my mind is is uh, waking up in the morning and seeing you and mom uh, sitting in your chairs, reading God's word uh, like that. That made an impression on me at a young age to know mm -hmm. that that, hey, like this. This is real, and I want what they have. And, and, and hearing your, even hearing your prayers uh, just gave me a, uh, a desire to want to know God the way that you know God. Um, and so that was, a, that was just a, a huge, strong uh, impression on me of how you guys uh, uh, led, led me to Christ. We know it's ultimately the power of the Holy Spirit, yeah. uh, but he uses parents in great, in great ways. And so... Um, 
so thank you guys. Thank you guys for being faithful to, to God and, and leading us in that way. Now look look back in Mark uh, chapter 10. Look, Son, you going to say anything about the, the church, how the church can encourage parents in terms of leading their children to Jesus? Yeah, Any yeah. thoughts I, on that? Sure, sure. I, I would say the church, you know, we, we as Franklin City Church, we want to come alongside parents uh, and primarily equip parents as best as we can uh, to really pastor your own kids and serve and teach your own kids. And yet we also do see the church as being, you know, we're, we're not a collection of just individual families. We are one new family of God, and we have people that are gifted in different ways that can help kind of serve all of our kids. And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, primarily, you know, we see the Sunday morning uh, uh, preaching of God's word and worship gatherings as being a great time to not only equip you, but equip your kids and serve your kids. We see our city groups as being great opportunities for them to really see what Christian fellowship looks like uh, lived out in the week, even in the messiness of life. And, and so we're always praying and thinking about how, how can we involve kids more into the life of city group and, and when do we need to have times where just adults can pour out hearts to adults, and when do we need to, to also bring the, the kids in to what we're doing as well. So even, for example, the last time our city group had a prayer night, just going through one of the New City Catechism questions with the kids on what is prayer, and let's, let's have our kids understand what prayer is. Let's pray with our kids, and then let's separate out and, and pray with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other ways that we come alongside parents and kids is even on, on a Sunday morning uh, where we do have a nursery, and, and, and the, the nursery serves multiple functions. One is just to give young parents uh, a, a chance to catch their breath, right? Uh, the, the, the whole week they're, they're holding and carrying these kids. So can't we have people come alongside young parents and just give them a breather? Uh, but we also want to see our nursery really develop into a, a, a vibrant prayer ministry where we're not just watching the kids, but our nursery workers are really intentionally praying over uh, each of the babies, each of the kids in there. And then our preschool class, which we've got our preschoolers in here today, which I think is great. I want them to, to always be getting a glimpse of what we're doing in here. But our preschool class is just such a great opportunity to have our, our gifted teachers really teach some of the foundations of the faith in a way that is understandable to our young kids. And then really, as they're nearing that age six, prepare them for what, prepare them to come and, and join us well. Uh, we don't want them out for long, but we want to prepare them well. We want to get them ready and teach them. For, and so that's that's kind of the purpose we see behind the preschool class. But um, ultimately, yeah, we want to equip parents and empower parents to go and, and serve their kids uh, throughout the week at, at home. Can I give just a, a short thought on that? Sure. All of us can, first of all, smile at kids. All right? That's important. You can learn their name and then greet them by name, even if 95% of the time, there's nothing returned back to you, which will happen, right? And uh, then just get to know them a little bit, you know, watch them, ask their parents, get to know their parents, learn a little bit about who they are, and look for ways to serve them. Tying a shoe, getting a, a thing of water, telling them whether mommy or daddy it might be. I mean, small ways that we can show the love of Christ and help lead them to Christ as a congregation. Yeah. All right, well, look back in Mark uh, chapter 10, because not only does this passage help us see how Jesus loves our children, but this passage tells us that our children are helping us learn about how Jesus loves us, okay? So look back at Mark 10, verse 15. 
says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now you see, we don't often fully experience the love of God because we many times try to receive it like an adult receives something. Mm. Okay, But Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom, you have to receive it like a child. Like a child. So let's, let's think about those two, adults and children, how they receive uh, things, okay? So if you want to know how an adult receives something, okay, go, go out to eat with them. And uh, unless they pull a dad move where they forget their uh, wallet, which is something dad is classic for if you go out to eat. And actually, okay, this is a side funny story. He went to go meet another pastor once who also pulled that move. They both... <laughs> They both forgot their wallets, and they had water together and had a great time. But anyway, okay. But most of the time, right, if, if you're going, like, if you want to see how an adult receives something, take someone out to eat and offer to pay for the meal, and then just watch what happens, right? Take notes and observe how an adult reacts in this kind of environment, right? Now, most of the time, they're going to initially fight you on the check, right? Not, not real hard, like they don't actually want to pay it, but just enough so it seems like they want to pay it, right? Like, oh, no, 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 let me get that, let me get, oh, oh, oh okay, all right, you got it. Um, <laughs> But then usually they follow that up with, hey, I got it next time, right? Like they want to pay it back. They, they, they don't want to owe you anything, right? They want to even out the score. So they'll say, okay, if you got it this time, then okay, then I'm going to pay you back next time. That's how usually an adult receives something. Or if you in, invite an adult over for dinner, usually they'll say something like, okay, well, what can I bring? What, what can I contribute? Like, I, I, don't want, I don't want to just receive this from you. I just don't want to receive a free meal from you. Like, what can I contribute to it? Or if you don't let them contribute anything, then they'll probably follow it up with, okay, well, uh, next month then we'll have you over, okay? Because they want to even out the score. That's how an adult receives something. But how does a child receive something? For example, when we call our boys in for dinner and tell them it's time to eat... Do they ask us, what can I bring? <laughs> now, not yet, okay? And so, and so but, but think about young kids, all right? Because Jackson and Jamin are old enough, they can kind of contribute and set the table. But these are young kids Jesus is, is welcoming. So these are infants. These are like Jordy and Joel, right? These are, these are babies. These are infants. Like, how does a child come to the dinner table? Like, they've got nothing to offer, right? They've got nothing they can bring. And after a meal, Jordy doesn't say, hey, uh, mom, that was a great dinner. Let me return the favor. I'll make it, you know, tomorrow night. I got it, right? No, when we take them out to eat, they don't fight us for the check, right? There's no, like, debate about who's going to get the check. No, they could never pay. They don't have the, the resources to pay that price. And Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must receive it. Get this, not like an adult, but like a child, like a child, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must receive it like a child. And so, Dad, I don't know, what do you, what do you think about this? What, what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? What are your thoughts on that? Well, my first thought is that, Don, when we go out to breakfast, if you want to pay for it every time, I'm good with that. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I'm just not an adult yet, but I'll, I'll get there one of these days. Well, I, I want to answer that question 
Uh, what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? I want to answer that question by singing a song. And I want all of our kids in here. Let me see your hands. Raise your hand if you're a kid. Zeke, come on. All right, I want you to sing this song with me, and you know it. Jesus loves me, this I know. Okay, sing along with me. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So how do you receive the kingdom of God like a child? Humbly, because I am weak. But confidently, because Jesus is strong. That's how you receive the kingdom of God. Like a child. Do you have a song you'd like to share at this point? I, I only do special music for a love offering, so that's, that's all I do. Okay. All right, I'll pray for it. All right. All Somebody right. pass the yeah, offering yeah, yeah, box yeah, yeah. around. Marty, yeah. if you can grab the offering box there. But listen, this, this truth is so profoundly important for us in understanding the love of God for us. Because you see, I think most of us haven't fully experienced it yet. We haven't fully experienced the love and grace of God because we, 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 we think we receive salvation like an adult receives something. Right? We, we falsely live and we think that God loves us because we loved him. When, in fact, the Bible would say the exact opposite of that, right? In 1 John 4, 19, the Bible would say, No, we love because he first loved us. Jesus, when Nicodemus comes to speak with him, he says, If you want to even enter the kingdom, you, if you were going to see the kingdom, you have to be born again, right? Something outside of yourself is going to have to do something miraculous for you to be born again and to enter the kingdom like a child. And so to receive the kingdom like a child, right, to receive like a child receives is to stop trying to earn your salvation. It's to stop trying to pay God back for salvation, and it is to humbly receive salvation and rest from all of our works. Because, listen, a child is totally dependent upon the one they're receiving something from. Mm -hmm. You are totally dependent upon Christ for him to pay what you could never pay. And so to receive the kingdom like a child is to rest from this working for our salvation and trying to pay God back. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of of works, right? So that no one may boast. I mean, how amazing God's grace is, how amazing God's love is, and we experience it more and more as we learn to humbly receive Jesus like a child does, with no merits of our own to offer for this for his love. And, and dad, one of the ways that you helped me understand the love of God uh, was you would always ask me this question, and it's a question that I now ask my boys. Uh, Dad would often ask me, son, 
uh, do you know I love you? He would ask that first. I'd say, yes, I know you love me, and uh, whatever. And then he would say, but son, do you know why I love you? Do you know why I love you? And usually say, I'd say, I don't know. But, but a lot of times as a kid, I just kind of assumed that he loved me because I was obedient or maybe uh, I got... That, that was, that was well, yeah, yeah, I mean, for the most part, for the most part, yeah. right. Uh, or, or I assumed it was maybe because I got good grades, like I did good in school or because I did good at sports or that I, I paid attention at church. Like maybe, maybe those were the reasons that he loved me. But he'd say, no, son, do you know why I love you? And I'd say, no, I don't, I don't know why you love me. And he'd say, because you're my son. Because you're my son. I love you because you are mine. Now, church, listen, that's, that's the love of God. That's the love of God. That's what Moses was trying to get across to the people of God in Deuteronomy. And I'm, 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 we're wrapping up, okay, so stick with me. But, but just listen to these words. I don't, we don't have it up on the screen, but just listen to these words uh, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. Uh, he's saying, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, right? It's, it's not because you were this impressive bunch of people that God set his love upon you. No, that's not it. But what is it? But it is because the Lord loves you. He's saying God loves you because you are his. The, the, the love that God has for you is not because of what you have done for him, right? Paul, when writing to Timothy, he agrees with this, that it is not anything in ourselves that prompts or causes God to love us. No, he says that it is God in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. He says that it is God who saved us and called us to be a holy calling, uh, a holy, to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Mm -hmm. So church, why does God love you? It's not because you love him. It's not because you've done so many great things to kind of earn his love. God loves you because you are his. And when you come to Jesus, you come like Jordy comes to the dinner table with nothing to offer in return. You come undeserving of the feast that Jesus has prepared for you. When you come to the, the Lord's Supper, you come to, like a, like a child who comes to a dinner table, there's nothing to contribute that you could pay Jesus back for this, right? You just come to receive like a child and to enjoy the grace and love that God has poured out on you through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. How great the love of God is. It is sovereign, it is free, and it is uninfluenced by us. He loves because we are his. And so thank you, Dad, for asking me that question. And it gave me great comfort to know that, yeah, you love me because I'm your son. But so many of us as Christians, we don't experience that kind of love from God because we think God's loving us because it's some sort of conditional transaction that we've paid him back or he loves us because we love him. No, no, no. We love because he first loved us. Mm -hmm. 